Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. I'm your host, Kira Holly, and I work at the West Midlands Group. In this episode, I caught up with Summit Fertilizers Area Manager and Matchiki Farmer, Juliet McDonald. And we covered a lot, including what's keeping her busy out in the paddock at the moment, how to spot the missing links to improve your crop's performance, what she thinks we can expect from the 2020 season, and plenty more. Before we get into it, here's a little bit about our guest. Juliet grew up on the family farm at Wotheroo and now lives with her husband and three children on a farm west of Marchke. She began her career with Summit in 2011. In her role, Juliet is responsible for the shires of Perentory, Karnamar, Three Springs, Morawa, Minganu and Karoo. As a homegrown local, Juliet has a lot of insight into the fertiliser requirements of the region. Known for her energetic work ethic, Juliet holds a degree from UWA, a FertCare accredited advisor qualification and currently sits on the GRDC Western panel. This conversation was recorded on the 15th of April 2020 when we were still waiting on the break of the season. Let's get started. Juliet, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your role at Summit. Well, as an area manager, obviously you've got your, your patch to, to deal with and your customers that you're um, helping out. So it's really just about using science, I guess, to make sure that we're not missing out on anything, that nothing's limiting, that yield potential can be maximised, you know, given the rainfall that we get. So it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, really. It's just putting the blocks together for everyone and everyone's got a slightly different take on the way they like to farm, which I think is great. It adds to the diversity and uh, and to the different ideas that we get out there. So yeah, it's really just about taking soil testing and buying mass and tissue testing and rotations and crop varieties uh, and putting it all together and coming up with hopefully in December uh, when we harvest crops or you know spring or um, when we've got beautiful pastures that the the puzzle looks a a very pretty picture. That's the dream isn't it? So what is your background? Uh, so I grew up on a farm uh, in Wabaroo, so I didn't go very far. My farm actually, you know, across the National Park is uh, neighbours to where I eventually grew up. I guess I was originally East Gunnedi, that's where we uh, grew up, but no water. So my dad carted water the entire time that we were out at Gunnedi, which was, yeah, a long time. And so he bought a new farm closer to Wabaroo, which actually had the town water supply on it. So we went from, yeah, not much to a lot. Um, so from the age of six, I was pretty much growing up right at Wotheroo there. Uh, I was the youngest of five and there's 10 years between me and my uh, um, brother. So uh, finishing high school, pretty much, um, you know, what, what to do. And my brother had already been on the farm for 10 years. So I thought, I'm not going back there and, you know, poking my nose in what is a good thing. So I thought if I can't farm, I'll try and help farm so that's why egg science sort of stood out so yeah went to high school for uh, five years and then on to uni for four years which was full-time contact uwa yeah and it was contact hours eight to five very different to what it is now um with labs you know every afternoon pretty much uh, and pretty full on so finished there and um yeah and then came home and was lucky enough to get a job with the ag department working on tag sassy and perennial pastures Really? Yeah, yeah. So I started with pastures with Tim Wiley. Uh, I'd done my thesis on palatability of tagasasty, so it it sort of segued straight okay. into that. Yeah, and at the Badgie Research Station was actually where I did my research. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, and picked tagasasty every morning from Dunmar to oh. feed my sheep for my thesis. So, yeah, so I'm I'm fairly local. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of here. Um, was there much tag in the region then when you were doing all of that? Uh, well, certainly McCusker's, um plantings at Dunmar were were massive and very well established. Um, and it was probably in its in 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 its highest peak of tagasasty being both in the ground and still being planted. Um, and probably 
probably started to wane after that. So, so yeah, started with that. Um, so, yeah, got a job in the Ag Department as a, as a pasture research officer and move on to an extension officer. Moved from Mora. Uh, I live on the Marchie track, so fairly central to nowhere, but everywhere at the same time. <laughs> so from Mora, I went to Three Springs and did a stint up there and did some GRDC high rainfall cropping systems project for five years. And then um, they opened up the CAC centres, which are the Community Agricultural Centres. Um, Do they still exist? No. They're all gone. No, no, they had a horrible acronym called a CAC. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that was um, Monty House, if I got the minister correctly. Yep. So he had that was his last thing that he did in agriculture. So we had the Ag Centre in Karoo for quite some time. There was myself and an APB officer, and we actually had there was three of us in there at one point. So yeah, so moved from there to to the Seedworks Karoo Seeds for for a while and doing all sorts of interesting stuff there with varieties and marketing and and production but also uh, the biggest change there was exporting lupin kernel into japan for use in aquaculture so that was probably the the big difference there and from there moved into the grain pool for a short while which was which was interesting again onto elders for a while i would have liked to have stayed there but being an agronomist and being on farm meant that i was really busy with spray advice when my husband was really busy and it just didn't quite gel and then an opportunity opened up with summit and yeah i found my spot in summit and i'm nearly up for my 10 years oh, wow. february next year yeah oh, so yeah i think i'm actually going to take a holiday but the plan yeah the plan was to go somewhere um overseas oh. <laughs> they may not happen no. so yeah we'll see so yeah, that's that's my journey. Um, yeah. yeah, got married and um, three kids while I was working uh, the whole way through, and yeah. um, a very very supportive husband who's you know the kids have been in the shearing shed and they've been on the tractor and they've yep yeah, they've done everything. Very supportive kids too. Uh, yeah, they didn't have a lot of choice. <laughs> <laughs> so you farm with your husband. How has seeding gone? Are you croppers, livestock? Both, everything, yep. So it's a very mixed farming enterprise. So we do a bit of cropping. We um, run a few sheep, both PDs and PD crosses and merinos. So self-replacing merino flock and a PD crossies uh, to try and drop the stock numbers down over summer. Uh, And a few cows just for um, something as well. So we've put lupins in, uh, put a bit of feed barley in, which may be feed barley or it may be feed for sheep. And if we get a bit more rain than last year uh, and we're out uh, east of, Karoo at the moment at the home place putting in wheat out there and we'll probably come back and I think we'll keep going we'll see it's a tough call yeah I think the pre-emergence work better when the rain on top so if you wait for the rain then you've really got to wait a good 14 days to get ryegrass through to that one and a half two leaf stage and I don't yeah don't think paraquat does a good kill so so I think we'll either keep going or or wait we'll see but lupins are in the ground and they've been a really good crop for us. So how much rain have you gotten so far, if any? We actually got about 80 mils through that three weeks of storms. And then we would have had our five mil last week on the Tuesday, but then probably lost most of that on the Wednesday when it blew and blew and blew. So, yeah, there's uh, Kate Weed tried to, to reinvigorate itself after that little bit of rain but got buried. So it's um, it's there, but it's not nothing's doing anything. And did you have much luck with the summer rains and your pastures? Well, all it really did was any, we had feed barley that was sort of too low to harvest last year and lupins, same thing. And all that summer rain did was get them to germinate and then um, they're either eaten or died. So we've actually lost part of our pasture coming into this year because of what is basically a false break. So yeah, a bit of a shame because all those, you know, crop seeds could have added to, to the pasture. 
certainly the feed barley would have been, you know, magic. If we could have just caught another 10 or 15 mils, probably just 10 mils, 8 mils would have done in between. It would have kept going. But the sheep look all right. They've cut a reasonable amount of wool, we're sure, recently. So, yeah, we just keep ticking along and hoping. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about crossing your fingers, isn't it? Pretty much. We had a lot of lupins in the silos from 2018. So we've got sheep feeders out for each mob. Um, and while there's not much on the ground, uh, they're getting lupins all the time. So I think they've, they've revolutionised sort of... I think cropping changed running sheep because you can run a lot more sheep on stubbles than we could on pastures. Um, that was probably back in the 90s that that change happened. And now with these lick feeders, you can just park them out in the paddock and we just keep them full and they just keep eating them and they're worth a lot of money, but so are sheep. So I've got to worry about calcium, but anyway, we'll cross that bridge. Yeah. I mean, it'd be lovely to have some hay, but we just didn't cut any hay last year. There just wasn't, we had 130 mils in 2019. We were basically green for six weeks and that was it. There's not much, well, there's nothing. (laughs) There really is nothing out there. So yeah, and couldn't cut any hay. So I've recently just bought a little bit of hay to feed to we got a little pd stud that kim and i run on our own uh-huh. my my husband farms with his brother so so um kim and i've got a pd stud and yeah just poke some hay down to keep the boys going and yeah a few rolls to try and stick out when the la- user lambing so i mean with the lack of rain in mind are you guys doing anything differently this year and uh, just um dropped lambing back from we normally drop in may and push that back late April, early May, and just push that back to the 1st of June on yep. the hope that we'd be dropping on green feed, but it's unlikely that I'll be dropping on green feed. I don't know whether we go to July next year. Yeah, it's a bit challenging. Surely we can't have these breaks. This time has got to change, Changed, surely. Yeah. Well, it looked like it was going it to. Because in cycles. Yeah, I mean, that one that was sitting up for the 16th, that looked really positive. Yeah. And then the one for the 20th has been... There was someone, someone's weatherman was forecasting um, for the 20th for quite some time. And so that one looked good. Um, you look one day and it's gone the next. Um, and now the 23rd is looking, or the 24th, it's still sitting there with some tropical feed, but it hasn't crossed the coast yet. And pretty much we've got to be two days out from one of those events to be actually sure that they're going to happen. So modelling's great and it gives you something to, to aim towards, but when they come and go, pretty quick yeah the confidence was up with those three weeks of storms and people got you know sort of between 50 and 120 mils of rain and everyone thought yeah right okay with a bit of subsoil moisture we can we can make it different this year and i think that's the thing everyone's grasping for the thing that's going to make the difference um and the thing that's going to make the difference is is rain so there's no one out there farming now that's doing anything so wrong that it makes them lose money like they did last year it's just whether or not we can get the rain in time do you have a weather weatherman or a weather forecaster that you not just go off whatever's around. Yeah. Plenty of guys tell me what's going to happen this year and my question is, so did they forecast what happened last year? Yeah. And if they can't tell me that 2019 was going to end up with 130 mils of rain and, and be the worst year in 45 that my husband's been on that farm, then I'm not interested. Yeah. So they've got to get it right, you know, without hindsight. And I don't think we've got any... The weather is the weather. Yeah, you can't control no. it. <laughs> no, that's right. So I think you've just got to look at it and know that it's mm-hmm. possible but not absolute. So, you know, make some plans towards it. But, I mean, we're, we're, we're flexible. Every day it's moving and changing and you've just got to know that you've made the decisions and why you've made those decisions and assure yourself that at the time you made the best decision. There's no point looking back. You know, we're always wiser at come December, January. Yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah, looking forward. So... Are you out seeing many growers at the moment or have you been? It's been What's quiet. happening for them? You know, because everyone's been in a different space and with their take on 
on the coronavirus and, and what needs to be done. So there's been a lot of stuff on phone. Uh, luckily, most of the fertiliser was already out. Orders were already done. There was a little bit of late stuff going on with people just changing programs and moving products around. But yeah, pretty much last week got going, got some trials in the ground, got a couple of N by rate by timing trials that we were able to get put in by the Ag Department up out of Jelton. So had got them in uh, and then started doing my N gauges, which is my focus this time of year. Yeah, just doing really extensive ones so rarely do I do just an N gauge it'll be an N and an NS or last year we saw such huge results from sulfur which was completely unexpected and it wasn't like people hadn't been putting sulfur on it was just such a dry summer no mineralization then the break big stubbles we just didn't have what we needed up front and we saw some really really massive results 600 kilos of dry matter based on um, 600 kilos of estimated increase in yield from sulfur alone over and above nitrogen so yeah so doing more extensive ones so I do an N and NS and NK and NKS I've done an NP you know just a liquid P that I've got a hold of we'll just see what the missing missing link is and see if we can spot it in time to make a difference this year if there is something going wrong and so doing them on people's paddocks where they've got their fertilizer their rotation their management that's much more powerful than than doing a trial small plot trial i mean we need the small plot trials because we need the rigor and we need the science behind it but the end gauges on farm are really showing us um you know where the missed opportunities are or last year for example there was a canola crop that wasn't going very well and i just happened to have done an n nk and nks strip and they were trying to work out you know over all their canola was it germination was it a herbicide residue what was it that was causing this canola to really not perform and the nks strip was bright green so it wasn't n because the n strip wasn't green it wasn't k because the nk strip wasn't green it was just this sulfur issue and so to see that on farm it was like yes we thought it might have been and that's just proven it so go ahead and apply some liquid s and try and resolve the issue so how how can farmers get involved in getting those on farm yeah, I mean, any of the area managers, we've all got boom sprays that go on the back of our utes and we put UAN out with and then we just hand spread potash, amsal or maxam to give the different nutrients that we're looking to. So, yeah, that's really just, yeah, Brett Beard at Mora or myself. So just give you guys a call. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Is there anything you can foresee based on last year that could also impact this year or what's what's coming? No, it's a bit harder. I think um, the engagers have probably shown us as well that putting on, so we're putting 100 units of nitrogen up front over and above what's been applied at seeding or, or pre-seeding um, and watching those strips, they don't, they don't go black, they don't kill over, they don't die, uh, they don't outgrow themselves. So um, more and more ends being put up front, obviously, you know, keeping in mind the bank balance and not over committing to a crop, but but putting more up front. We don't have the stubbles that we had last year to deal with, so that's less of a risk, I guess, with the bacteria tying up the nitrogen that we apply to break down big stubbles, but there's still the stubbles left over from 2018 in a lot of paddocks. So sulfur, sort of thinking that maybe with that three weeks of sort of stormy rain that we had come through and a bit more since then that we should have had some mineralisation. But if you look at some of the soils now, they're really, really dry. So if the bacteria got started, we're probably, you know, two or three weeks later and we're still looking at bone dry soils. So how could they be still very active given that the soils have dried out? I don't know. We, that's the one area about soils. We, it's, you know, it's a mystery what the bacteria are up to and it would be lovely to have some measure indication of what's going on, but that's the unknown. So we, we may see a sulphur response if 
if there is uh, low mineralization. Organic carbons are obviously the driver of all of that and definitely where we've got fallow in the system or full cropping, we're seeing a decline in organic carbon. So in my 10 years over summer, I reckon I probably would have started with an average organic carbon over everything of about 0.6. I've definitely moved down. I'd, well, actually, it would have been higher than probably 0.6, probably more like 0.7, 0.8. And now I reckon I'm about 0.5. And I've got stuff that's lower than 0.4. What, so what would a paddock that's never been cropped, what would their... Like... A pasture paddock? Yeah. Much better. Yeah. Always much better. And it may not appear to grow much more, but because, I think because you're getting that recycling from the animals back into the... Yeah. So it's a sort of self-sustaining system. Yeah. You're actually re-fertilising with manure and urine and that can then provide nutrients for the bacteria to keep going. And maybe because in a pasture system as well, we're not applying so many insecticides and chemicals. So there is a view that some chemicals are, you know, obviously damaging or interfering with microbial activity. And in a pasture, you don't get that. You actually get things that are, you know, sort of helping it to wind up rather than winding it down or stopping it potentially. So, but we... We can't measure it, so we don't know. It's a bit frustrating. Is anyone out there doing trials on that? Oh, there's been lots, millions of dollars spent on looking at microbial, um, you know, the advantages of. And it appears at some point we can measure some diseases. I think if you're quite specific, diseases, microbes, whether they're good or bad. If you're very, very specific, you might be able to measure a change. But if you're trying to measure the entire microflora and all the interactions, I think it's too much for us at the moment. But with genetics and... And those sorts of things, hopefully we can pick up markers which, or something, some sort of a tool that we can poke in the ground and go, yep, this is where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be handy. It would be handy, yeah. <laughs> maybe, even just a, maybe a glass bubble that we stick over top and measure yeah. some sort of carbon dioxide. Should or copyright that. Yeah, no, I'm sure if, I'm, I'm not that smart, Kira. I'm sure if it's possible it would have been done by now. Yeah. Oh, i just got to put your mind to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you did mention earlier that most of your growers have got their fur and the supplies all good, but yeah. the virus could impact things for a lot yeah. longer than we thought. Yeah. What's Summit's plan in terms of supply? I think we've actually had a really good precursor in last year with the Chinese environmental restrictions. So I think agriculture was really primed already for getting things on deck a bit earlier. So we noticed last year that the issues with getting stuff onto wharf, so we had a boat sitting off the coast for nearly two weeks I think it was 10 days waiting to come in um, and and so getting things just a little bit uh, earlier than just in time um, so yeah we've had stocks uh, and because um, so most of the phosphates were here before the the COVID situation really erupted so that was good and we actually get a lot of our phosphates from Queensland anyway so our maps and daps all come from Queensland so that's not even I guess Queensland has still got a risk to WA so that was in before but then things like urea which is pretty much all we're bringing in throughout the season now that's actually got a 21 day sailing time so the crews are basically doing their 14 day isolation while it's sailing Uh, and I've heard there's procedures in place when they get here that um, mobile phones and they go to their rooms and it's all cleaned down and then the stevedores or whoever it is that actually go on the ships they then unload the ship and the, the crew stay in their room there's a, a good protocol there but it has slowed things down because between shifts of the stevedores I think it is there's a break and a cleaning time so there's there is there is delays and we are seeing you know boats taking a while still to get through but I guess there is less 
uh, other things maybe coming in that you know white goods or electronics or I don't know what else or cars I'm not, I'm not sure whether there's still as many boats coming in as what there normally would be but certainly yeah in front of the game and if we'd had rain and we had a kickoff like last year then you know we'd be under a bit of pressure but without the rain we've got plenty of ships and capacity and everything's going to be here well and truly in time there was some consultants and some growers being encouraged by consultants to get everything for the entire year on farm early and that did start to stretch things because when you've got <laughs> well it was yeah almost like that when you when you've got stuff booked in for July and all of a sudden people want to pick it up in April it's like well you know we've we've got it planned but we've got it planned in the system for July so that was pretty much the only thing where we had you know a bit of a situation where you know so much stuff was being brought forward and when it's happening across the state it might be only be one or two people for each area manager so you don't really notice a trend when you start to notice tons you know being dragged forward then you know that it's a statewide thing and that's sort of over now. I think everyone's a bit more comfortable and obviously yeah. we feel like we're on the back end of, of the COVID situation. Agriculture's had a dream. The truckies have had, you know, a breeze straight down through Perth into Kwinana. So it's actually, you know, agriculture's been sitting really pretty through all this and we can do business out in the paddock with um, at least two metres between us. And these days, you know, we don't need people in the vehicle with us. We often do our job and then we'll catch up and go over the results and, you know, there'll be something emailed because guys are just too busy doing what they're doing through seeding. Yeah, it's pretty much business as usual. Do you have any advice for growers for now or later in the season? No, I think most, I mean, when you're seeding, decisions have been made. You know, they've been made already and there's no point second-guessing yourself, I don't think. You could choose to back off a little bit on nitrogen if you wanted to, but things like phosphorus and potassium, they're such key plant nutrients that if you back off on them, you're just asking for a crop that's not going to come out of the ground with as much vigour. And even nitrogen to back off now, you probably actually need more vigour when the plant comes out than anything. So it's almost like with a sick child, you wouldn't choose to stop feeding it. Or with an animal that was not doing so well, you try and, if you want it, you're going to feed it more. And I guess if you look at a crop or pastures like that, then you just got to, you know, know that you've aimed for a certain yield target and that everything's got what it needs. I guess coming out of 2019, the only thing that you might have done, but this decision would already have been made, is to back off a bit on something like phosphorus because you might not have got the yield that you'd already put the fertiliser in for last year. So obviously that, you know, rotational budgeting that happens uh, with the yield expectation. Yeah, so, and then obviously it's just about, we, we've been caught out, I think, in 2018 with the with the speed of things growing. Last year as well, although we probably did the speed at which things got out of the ground and got going, then we were getting nitrogen on. And I think we got onto it last year because the stubbles of 2018 were so big, we knew that nitrogen was a big factor. And I guess the other one that sort of put something a little bit different on the table is that most of the barley's, feed barley's or, or barley's gone in the ground up here. And if you were hoping it was going to go molting before you put it in the ground, uh, you're going to very much hope it's going to go molting now that we've had these uh, change in the international market for for feed barley so there is a bit of a interest already in uh, in barley and trying to make sure somehow that we manipulate protein as best we possibly can and that all comes down to yield environmental conditions at the end of the year but we'll be looking at that one fairly closely throughout the year to try and ensure that we it'll be a big focus not just you know wheat protein's been a bit of a focus the last couple of years but i think when you've got a 57 dollars drop or whatever it was the other day in the market price then we're going to try and make sure that malt goes malt things could change you know to is a long way off someone could pop up looking for for some malt or you know china could change but yeah that that's going to be a bit of a focus for growers to try and make sure that they're not going to cop a feed penalty if they've got a malt variety in the ground market's going to be quite unpredictable this year isn't it 
I think it always is. I actually don't think that's sort of changed. But I would have thought that the coronavirus and and other things would have put a higher focus on feed and uh, food, food and food quality, uh, and feed and feed quality. I mean, the Chinese have just come out of their swine flu, and that's got to have changed things for them. Um, so whether they've got a bit of extra feed left over without so many pigs to feed, I'm not too sure. It'll be an interesting. It always is, and I think that's the joy of agriculture is it's it's so dynamic, and you, you, yeah, you're always trying to keep up and make changes on the fly and yeah be adaptable and flexible and and make some money along the way that actually covers my next question what keeps you interested Uh, in farming yeah yeah no i think that's it i mean like i said it's like the jigsaw puzzle and you're involved with people that are that are looking to do something you're 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 a part of the team i guess for an end point which is the celebration of the year which is often harvest but also people with sheep you know it's it's getting lambs off and getting ridiculous money for lambs um i heard something the other day over 300 dollars or whatever it was on the paper so yeah so uh, if that was correct so yeah so so getting lambs off in good condition getting you know five six kilos of wool cut pulling off good yielding crops whatever they might be it might be a three ton or it might be a one and a half ton but whatever it whatever it is being part of that process and yeah talking to people and saying you know things went well and and this it's the science that i the bit that i think i bring to the table it's it's going right well that's what you're thinking of doing this may be why it's going to work and this may be where you could come unstuck and i guess trying to just plug the holes to make sure that people aren't doing something where they could actually end up with a negative outcome not because what they're doing is wrong but because one of the components was missing and we i mean we've certainly done that at home as well you know deep ripping without spray topping and having a really really horrific brown grass issue the following year so simple little things that you know were missed out that should have been remembered and resulted in an issue which could have been avoided can't think of everything as a farmer that's why you've got to have a bit of help yeah yeah that's right that's right and i think you've got to draw on everyone your neighbor yeah. your consultant your agronomist and i think your girl group being a, yeah exactly and and for me being a mother i remember lots of people giving me advice before i had my kids and like people are going oh that's not right don't listen to her and you're going no i'm i'm actually happy to listen to everyone and i've always had a bit of a rule if you hear it once well okay if you hear it twice you sort of start to think okay that's really starting to come together but if you hear it three times from three different sources you sort of go i think there's a fair bit of rigor in that and I think farming's the same. So if you've got your grower group putting out information, if you've got your consultant, if you've got your wife or your brother or your father, and all that information starts to gel together, I think you've got to have some confidence that, yeah, that's actually, you know, that is real and, and that is right and use that however you need to. Well, thanks for coming on, Juliet. My pleasure. It's been great. And hopefully I'll get to talk to you soon about what did come out of the season let's hope we all see each other at springfield days yeah oh that would be nice wouldn't that be great all right thanks kira thank you i hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as i enjoyed chatting with juliet so some key messages engage strips are a great tool for accurately identifying what your crops needs are in season we may see a response to sulfur in some crops following a dry summer and low mineralization Summit's first supply is stable and should be reliable this year despite the impact of COVID-19 on shipments. Contact your local Summit Fertilisers area manager if you're interested in getting some N-gauge strips on your farm. Those details will be in today's show notes along with some other useful resources. And thank you as always for tuning in. We want to know what you want to hear about. Contact us via the details on our website www.wmgroup.org.au and that website will also be in the show notes. Send us an email or give us a ring letting us know if there's something in particular that you want to hear about on our podcast. You can stay in the loop by subscribing so that you know when the next episode drops. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review. 
I'd like to thank our sponsors and members without whom this would not be possible. See you next time for some more Paddock Chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.